It's Palm Sunday. What's that mean? What's that mean? This is interaction time. I didn't grow up in Southern California, so palm trees to me were something that we had once a year on Palm Sunday. Um, Remember, how many of you grew up in a church where kids would walk down the aisle on Palm Sunday waving palm branches? We paid a lot of money for them at the local florist. Nobody. You're all from here, so it's like they're on trees out there. What's the big deal? What is Palm Sunday? Triumphal entry. What's that mean? Who? What? Where? Jesus. Jesus. Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, exactly right, as king of kings. This is a, this is a big week in the Christian calendar. Uh, Thursday of this week, uh, Jesus will celebrate the Passover with his disciples, and then later that night, he will be betrayed by Judas. He will spend all night being uh, brutally tortured and, and beaten and abused. And then later on Friday, he will be crucified and he will die. And later Friday evening, he'll be buried. And then Saturday is just this day where the disciples and his followers were grieving and mourning, wondering, what has just happened? And then, of course, a week from today, Sunday, he comes back to life. He rises again. He conquers death. We call it Easter, we call it Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to have an awesome time a week from right now, right out in the parking lot, pray for no rain. Uh, It's been that kind of a winter, Um, and we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But let's go back to today, it's Palm Sunday, a week before the resurrection. A lot of things happened this week, but I want to look at today. And the, the story of Jesus' triumphal entry is found in Matthew 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. They won't be on the screen, just follow along in your Bibles, or just, just close your eyes and listen to this narrative. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." And here Matthew is quoting Zechariah 9.9, written 500 years earlier, uh, prophesying this very day. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, and and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is presenting himself to Israel, his chosen people, as their king. 
Now, the people seem to understand this, and they praise and they worship him. But a few days later, this same crowd is going to be chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Man, what changed in just a few days? Well, I want to suggest to you that they really did not know who he was. So I want to hone in on this question that the, that the people of the city ask when they say, who is this? In verse 10. And so this morning, what we, want to, what we want to talk about is, or what we want to do is ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is this? Who, who was this man that rode in on this donkey? Now, I want to suggest this might be the most important question you ever ask. This is, this is certainly the most important question I have ever asked. Who is Jesus? What if I get it wrong? What if I don't understand who Jesus is? Man, all eternity is at stake in answering that question wrongly. My purpose for living is at stake. My entire existential existence is at stake. You like that? Triple E. Entire existential existence. And I mean it. Without Jesus, there's no reason to live. So who is he? The first century residents of Jerusalem thought they knew who Jesus was, but they based it on their own ideas and their own expectations. They expected him and they wanted him to be a certain way. They wanted him to be the conquering king who would save them from the the heavy hand of Rome. That's who they were expecting. That's who they were cheering on this Palm Sunday. And when they realized he wasn't going to do that, they killed him. They did not accept him for who he really was because he was not who they wanted him to be. Boy, we've got to be careful that we don't do the exact same thing, that we build up an image of what God is like or what we think God is like. And then when he seems to do or to not do what we think he should do or should not do, we dismiss him. I've heard people say, my God would never do that or I can't accept a God like that. I can't accept a God who does those kinds of things. Well, then what you're doing is you're you're building up a God, a Jesus, in your own image, who you want him to be, instead of letting Scripture reveal who he is and then accepting that that's who he is. When Dawn and I got married, I wanted her to be a certain way. Why are you laughing? I hoped she would be a certain way. I expected her to be a certain way. I had built up in my mind an image of what she should be, heavily based on my mother. I mean, the wife that I knew and was closest to was my mother. So certainly my wife would be just like her. I had an image of what kind of wife she was going to be based on my mother. Guess what? It didn't work out that way. I had to learn who she was, not who I wanted her to be. Oh, if you get nothing else this morning, if you tune out, get this principle right here. Most relational conflicts come about because we have expectations about what another person should be or should not be, how they should do things or how they should not do things, based on what we want them to be or hope they will be. And those false images of that person can destroy the relationship. 
In the same way, a false understanding of who Jesus really is can destroy our relationship with him. Or maybe not even ever get it started. It is imperative that we know the Jesus that the Bible reveals, not the Jesus that we want him to be or hope that he is. And so we each need to ask ourselves today, what are the holes in my understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is? What parts of God's character just simply don't mesh with what I think a God should be? There are some things that God does that just don't make sense to my way of thinking. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you know there's things in there. It's like, ah, I don't think my God would do that, except that he did. And so we've got to change our way of thinking about who God really is. The danger here is that we could end up worshiping our own version of God, not the true God, in essence, rejecting the true God and engaging in idolatry. Now, let me make it clear right up front, I've already mixed the names, that Jesus is God. And so when I talk about Jesus, I'm talking about God. When I talk about God, I'm talking about Jesus. I'm going to use these two names interchangeably throughout this sermon. Um, and, and I just want to make that abundantly clear that that's what we believe. That's what I believe. I will die for that. Not a lot I'll die for, but I'll die for that. Jesus is God. So who is Jesus? Well, let's see what the triumphal entry teaches us about Jesus. Who is this? Who is this man? Who is he? Matthew and Zechariah, uh, in, in our text today, we're going to see four things about Jesus. And the first thing we're going to see is that he is the king. He is king. Look at the prophecy in Zechariah, and I'm going to look at Zechariah 9.9 for this, um, that Matthew is referring to. And we're going to be in Zechariah 9.9. If you want to open your Bibles to that text, you can, because that's where we're going to really be perching this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Zechariah wrote that 500 years before Jesus lived. And then on this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry day, Matthew says this, all of the events of Matthew 21 happen to fulfill this prophecy. Your king is coming to you. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is king? Well, it means that he is the ruler over all. He is, he is ruler of all and is over all. He's the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies about a coming king that would rule the world in peace. It means he is the sovereign king. A king, by definition, is a sovereign ruler. Uh, Jesus is the sovereign of sovereigns. He is completely, absolutely in control of all things in the universe. And if there are any other universes, he's in control of all the things in those universes. He is absolutely in control. And that means he's in control of the things in my life, in your life, the good things, the bad things, the, the mediocre things. He is in control of everything. He is the sovereign king. He means he is the Messiah. He is the anointed ruler of Israel. When these crowds praise Jesus as the son of David and the one coming in the name of the Lord, they were declaring him to be their Messiah, but they had formed him in their own image of what the Messiah would be and do, and so they rejected him later in the week when he failed to meet their expectations. It means that he is not only king, but he is king of kings. 
He rules over every other king, every other ruler on the face of the earth that is ruling now or ever has ruled. Daniel 2 says he sets up and he removes kings and presidents and dictators. He sets them in place and he removes them. He is the king of kings. So why does it matter to me that Jesus is king? What what will I miss if I don't know this about Jesus? Well, a king demands obedience and submission. By definition, a monarch, ruler, a king, a king demands that you submit to him and yield to him and obey him. It is expected that we will obey this king. And if we don't know that about Jesus, if we're not obeying him, then we could be living in rebellion to our king and disobedience to our king, not a place I would think we'd want to be. Since Jesus is the sovereign king, he controls everything. There's not a single event, not a single crisis, not a single tragedy or betrayal or hurt in your life or victory or triumph that is outside of Jesus' absolute control. This aspect of who he is should be an amazing comfort to us. Things don't happen in some random haphazard way. God is in control of the events of your life. Now, we're going we're to unpack this a lot more as we plunge into Isaiah this summer and study parts of the book and themes in the book. And one of the, one of the hugest, one of the hugest, yeah, I'm going to say that, one of the hugest themes in Isaiah is the sovereignty of God. It's all over the place. I, I had a ton of scripture in my sermon to d- demonstrate that. It's like, I, I, we don't have time. So come back this summer. We'll just keep coming. Um, and, then, and, then, and then another another aspect of this idea that Jesus is king is we don't have to worry about who the president is or who the governor is or who the mayor is or who any ruler is because Jesus is king over all governments. He controls them. He sets them up. He allows them to be. Amen? Anybody worried about politics? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. You don't have to because Jesus is king. That's huge. All right. Second thing we learn about Jesus is that he is the righteous one. Uh, This word righteous could also be translated just or or justice. Excuse me. So he is the just one. Back to our text in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. Or just and having salvation. Last week, Christian shared how Jesus as king will bring in his kingdom as a kingdom of peace and righteousness, a kingdom defined by justice and equity. No corruption, no backroom dealing with the Russians or with the mob. No one will get away with anything. Doesn't that sound good? There'll be no news cycle anymore. Because all there is on news is the latest corruption stuff going on. 
Jesus will rule with justice and equity. I don't know about you, but I like stories where the, where the good guys win in the end. You with me? You know, those stories where the bad guys get away with stuff and the good guys lose out, unless it's Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> you really want the bad guys to win there. And it always troubles me when you watch those kind of movies that you just feel for the crooks and the thieves. And you love them and they're the heroes of the story. Something is really twisted about that. <clears throat> anyway, off the point. Imagine the Lord of the Rings if Frodo was not able to get the ring in the fire on Mount Doom. If Gollum had truly stopped him and, and Sauron maintained his dark power over Middle-earth and all this dark power and this dark evil descended on the hobbits, that would be awful. That's not what we want to hear. We want to hear that he finally made it and he destroyed evil and, and Sauron was destroyed and good ruled over Middle-earth and the hobbits were happy once again. Right? Man, and in this world, though, it seems like way too often evil wins. The bad guys get ahead. But Jesus is a righteous and just king. Never, ever forget that. When you are betrayed, when you are hurt, when, when wrong is done to you, when bad people get away with it, remember Jesus is a righteous and just king. All wrongs will be made right. His ways are always right and fair and good. Even when evil seems to get the upper hand, and it does at times, even when we would act to bring justice a whole lot more quickly than he seems to be acting, Remember that Jesus is righteous and just. Listen to how Jeremiah describes this righteous king in 23.5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That's the Messiah, that's the king, that's Jesus. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Oh, yes, so good. So why does it matter to me that Jesus is the righteous one? What will I miss if I don't know this about Jesus? Well, think for a minute. Have you ever been angry or upset because you were treated unfairly? Anybody ever been treated unfairly? Let's start there. Of course. Everybody been, anybody ever been upset because they got away with it and it hurt me? You ever wanted to get justice, get vengeance, get revenge, get back at them? I'm going to make them pay. Sound familiar? <laughs> if we don't understand these truths about who Jesus is, if we don't understand that he is the righteous king and the just king, then those hurts can eat us up, they can rob our joy, and then that bitterness is what ends up ruining our lives, not the actual event that happened. And so we can rest on the fact that Jesus will make all wrongs right. And remember, that cuts both ways, because you've probably hurt people in your life, and you've probably been uh, one of those who other people would like to see get vengeance on you. And so Jesus will make all wrongs right, but he will also do it with grace. 
in the end, everything will be equaled out. Jesus will make sure everything is right. And so we can live in light of Romans 12, where it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Honestly, if you're really mad at somebody, who would you rather have take them down, you or God? I rest my case. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I can relax in my desire to see justice done because Jesus, the righteous king, will take care of it. Now, that doesn't eliminate the pain and the hurt and the feeling of betrayal that that comes with that. I'm not trying to minimize those feelings that we get, those emotions, that hurt. But this aspect of God's character is comforting. The third thing we learn about Jesus is that he is the Savior. He is the Savior. Again, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he. The righteous and just Messiah king comes to save and redeem because we need a Savior. Understand that we're in desperate need of a Savior. We are sinners and totally separated from God, and there is no way we can rescue ourselves from a life of despair and an eternity apart from God. We are, we are in a sad case, and we need a Savior. Listen to the words of, of Paul in Romans 3. Um, just look at all the nuns and the no ones and the alls. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. And Jesus is the only Savior. A few more verses from the New Testament, Acts 4. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. It's Jesus. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We need a Savior. Jesus is the only Savior. How does he save us? He saves us by taking our place. Now this is hard for us to grasp. This king... This righteous king, this perfect sinless son of God, son of David, took on himself every bit of guilt and shame of our sinfulness. He was tortured, he was crushed, he was shamed, he was killed so that I wouldn't have to bear all that on myself. And even if I did, it wouldn't be enough. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. Jesus had to do it. Look at some of these verses from Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. Look look, look at the first person pronouns here. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We're all trying to figure it out ourselves. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, 
the iniquity of us all. 43.25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Isn't that interesting? Jesus saves us from our sins for his sake. Because when he rescues us and saves us from sin, he gets the glory. We get the benefit, but he gets the glory. And I will not remember your sins anymore. We don't like, we don't like things for free, do we? Well, we do. We don't like people to give us things for free. We don't like to have others help us. I offered help someone a while back, and they insisted on paying me. We don't like to accept help without paying for it. Okay, but it doesn't work that way with Jesus. He paid for it. All we can do is accept it. We must simply believe that we need a Savior that Jesus is the Savior, and then accept that truth with our whole being. So why does it matter to me that Jesus is the Savior? How is that good news? What will I miss if I don't know this about Jesus? Oh, man, you'll miss it all. You miss everything. Your sins will not be forgiven. You will miss the sheer delight of having a relationship with Jesus, the creator of the universe. You'll miss experiencing the undeserved love and grace and acceptance of forgiveness that comes with knowing him. You'll miss the joy of knowing that your, the price for your sins has been paid, the shame has been removed, my sins have been forgiven, I bear them no more. Oh, I love that truth. Because I'm a pretty lousy sinner. Actually, I'm a pretty good sinner. I do well at it. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what the Passion Week that's ahead of us is all about. Jesus dying and coming back to life and conquering death so that he could remove our sins. So much of the world misses this aspect of Jesus because, follow this logic, to acknowledge that he is the Savior is to acknowledge that somebody must need a Savior and that somebody might be me. And so we reject the idea that Jesus is a Savior because we don't want to be seen as being in need of a Savior. But he is and we do. And this isn't just a truth to know about Jesus. Oh, okay, I know that now. I'll write that down. No, this is a truth to embrace by faith. This is a truth to, to stake your whole life on. Your whole existential existence is staked on this reality that Jesus is the Savior. And if you don't know Jesus, if you have not placed your faith in him, if you're not part of this family of God, then today is the day. You can experience all the joys and delights of having someone else take that burden of sin and free you from all that and have a relationship with God himself. I was talking to somebody this morning before the service that shared how a dying man prayed to receive Jesus minutes before he went out into eternity. And, and he experienced peace and, and battle in those last few moments of life. It's never too late. Today's the day. Accept, believe, trust. When we're finished here today, there'll be people over here in the prayer room that are, are, are thrilled, would be thrilled to pray with you. And open the scriptures and show you more about what it means to follow Jesus. He is the Savior.
The fourth, fourth thing about Jesus that we learn from the triumphal entry is he is the humble servant. He is the humble servant. This is a hard one. This is what Israel simply could not get their head around. They were okay with Jesus being king. They were okay with him being righteous, being savior, even being Messiah. But the humble part, the suffering servant part seen near the end of Isaiah, they couldn't wrap their heads around this aspect of who Jesus was. This is what Christian hits so hard last week. What Isaiah is so much about, that Jesus is not only the king, but he is a humble, even humiliated, suffering, abused servant. Again, Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This word humble in the text here means poor or weak or afflicted. It's not what you would expect of a king. Kings typically weren't poor and they weren't weak and they certainly weren't afflicted. They did the afflicting. He's riding a donkey, which was an act of humility. A donkey was an entirely ordinary work animal, a beast of burden. Jesus didn't ride in on a powerful horse, a a, a charger, a, a, a king's horse. It's interesting that Israel seemed to miss that. They were so focused on this being their king that they didn't stop to notice, why is he riding a donkey? Because their expectations of him, what they hoped and what they wanted, were so distorted, they looked over the other aspects of who he was and how he was presenting himself. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus. Listen listen to how he contrasts Jesus' future exaltation, which befits a king, and Jesus is king, with his humiliation as a servant, the humiliation that took him to the cross so he could be the savior for our sins. Philippians 2, skip that one. Philippians 2, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, Jesus was God. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. There it is. Being born as a man and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He was humiliated. He was pierced. He was abused. He was was beaten. Verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus is both king and servant. Understand that about him. He is the king. He is exalted. He is God. He is deity. But he humbled himself as a servant, and he was humiliated and allowed himself to be abused and beaten so that he could purchase our salvation. So why does it matter to me that Jesus is a servant? How how is that good news? What will I miss if I don't know this about Jesus? I thought a lot about this this week, because it's not one, we, we, we know it, but we tend to say that's past let's move on because now he's king he's sitting at the right hand of the father i think this aspect of jesus is a huge comfort i think it's incredibly valuable and important for us as we live this life 
For us to know that Jesus, our King and our Savior, was humiliated, was shamed, was betrayed. He was treated completely unfairly. His life was cut short. I mean, from a human perspective, he was killed at 33. He was robbed of his dignity as a man. He was completely misunderstood, misrepresented. Expectations on him were so twisted and distorted that they ended up killing him. Have any of those things ever happened to you? Not the killing part, because you're here. You ever been misunderstood, misrepresented? You ever been betrayed, ever been shamed, ever been humiliated? Has wrong ever been done to you? The king of the universe, the sovereign over all things, the creator of the very molecules. And I looked this up this week for some other reason, but there's leptin. You physics guys, help me. Leptons in our cells? Lipids? No, not lipids. That's something different. Sorry, Eddie. There's these little tiny particles they've found that are smaller. That's what the nucleus and the protons and the neutrons are made up of. Quarks, thank you. Who said that? (laughs) Physics guy, all right. Quarks, and there's another one, sorry to the L, but anyway, quarks is good. What was my point? <laughs> Jesus, the creator of quarks, of which everything is made, suffered just like we do. He gets it. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've faced, whatever you've dealt with, whatever you've battled, he has too. He gets it. He understands. He is not only your Savior and your King, but he's here to comfort you, to bring solace to your weary, bruised soul. There are aspects of my life that I feel like have been taken from me. Bear with me, this is sort of a vulnerable moment here. Don't laugh. <clears throat> you can laugh. Um, I'm not the same person I was 30 years ago. Sometimes Dawn and I talk about this. She goes, Chris, you're not the same. I said, you know, I think, I think in a bad way, in a bad way, I think, I think who I used to be has been, has been beaten down because of what's happened to me, because of what, of things people have done to me. And I, I, it's not terrible or anything. But because of how life has gone and, and what's happened, I'm not the same person I used to be. And there's, there's times I mourn the loss of who I used to be and some of the, I'm not, I'm not I'll just tell you, I'm not fun anymore. Don't, ooh, I'm not the only one, huh? I saw that. Okay, wives, how many husbands? No, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. You know, and I think it's because I used to have a lot of, I used to be really fun and, and do stuff, and I just want to sit home and brood now. Not quite. Um, but when I realize what happened to Jesus, when, when I see how he was robbed of so much of his life, I mean, his very life, ultimately, it's like, that's encouraging to me. I prob- I, I, probably everybody here 
besides you know, the ones that obviously made themselves known, um, can look back on your life and see how bad things happened that changed your life for the worse. We get angry and we say it's not fair and maybe it isn't. But Jesus went through the exact same stuff. We're in good company. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the king. He's the righteous and the just one. He is the savior, the only savior. He is the humble servant that suffered so much. And he is so much more than all that. You can't summarize Jesus in four points. So we we have to make it a lifetime journey of getting to know him. What are the consequences of not knowing Jesus that the Bible reveals? What are the consequences of trying to see God as in our own view as opposed to who he really is? Well, we could end up worshiping a false god. We could end up missing a relationship with the real Jesus. We could end up forcing our will and our way and our desires and our wishes onto a supreme being that has revealed himself through Scripture and through nature in so many marvelous ways. And instead of accepting how he has revealed himself, we, we, we tweak it to how we want him to be. We could end up trusting the wrong things for our eternal salvation. We can end up ruining our lives by trusting in the God of our own making rather than the real God. So the challenge goes out to all of us here this morning. We must know the Jesus that the Bible reveals, not the Jesus we want him to be or hope that he is. When he does those things that don't fit our view of who he is, when he doesn't answer our prayers, when he doesn't heal the sickness, when tragic things happen that we go, that's just not right, that shouldn't happen. God, you could have stopped this, why didn't you? We don't know. But we need to embrace the God who is, not the God who we want And we need to change our view of God based on the revelation of Scripture. Even the things that trouble us about him. And that's a lifetime project. We'll never get it completely right. Until we die and we go to heaven and we look at Jesus and we go, Oh, how did I miss that? We often say that to each other. I'll I'll, I'll bet. We're going to get to heaven and go, oh my goodness. I, to- I mean, I've been asking that question my whole life. And it was right there. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, uh, let me encourage you. Accept him for who he is. He will save your life, literally. He is your savior. He is just waiting to hear your words of repentance and trust and faith in him alone for salvation. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then keep getting to know him better and better. Make it your life's ambition, number one life goal, to get to know Jesus. Pursue him passionately with zeal. Don't let this be sort of like, oh yeah, oh that's my Sunday thing and this, you know. No, it's all out. 
Spend time with him. Talk to him. Let him talk to you through the word of God. Let's be passionate about this relationship. Let these words from Jeremiah literally be our life goal. Listen to this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Not a life goal. Let not the mighty man boast in his might or power. Not a goal. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Not a goal. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Wow. Is that cool or what? That's our life goal, that we understand and know God, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let's delight God by getting to know him. He wants us to know him. Let that be our goal. Lord Jesus, thank you. On that triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, first day of the week so many years ago, you rode into Jerusalem, presenting yourself as king, the righteous one, the Messiah, but also as a humble servant, They missed that, and so they killed you. But you conquered death. A week later, you rose from the grave and defeated all of the enemies and all of the falsehood and all of the evil. Lord, thank you that we can know you. What an incredible privilege to know you. You even ask us to get to know you. You ask us to boast in the fact that we know you. May we keep getting to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.